the choice of life over death. I know most of you. I know probably all of you. Some uh, I know intimately. We have, we have done life deeply together. So I know where your heart is with Jesus Christ, but I think that it's, no, I don't think, I know that it's important that we as believers understand that choice that we make. And it's particularly important for young people because you, you can choose Christ today and you choose Him in terms of relationship and, follow, and, and, and uh, being, for lack of a better term, having a fire insurance policy to are you really, do you really understand what it means to choose Jesus and follow Him for life? And that's really important stuff because we get, we get into trouble because we don't understand what that choice looks like. So this morning, open your Bibles or look at the screen to 1 John 5, 11 through 21. And the Apostle John writes, and this is what God has testified He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. This is the first verse of Scripture that I ever memorized when I was saved. Uh, It it wasn't in this translation. Uh, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son, God's Son, does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, that you may know, know, that you have eternal life. And we're confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our requests, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. Uh, There's a whole bunch of stuff packed into that that verse that we're we're not going to attempt to define today. But understand, when we pray as believers... God hears us. When we pray as believers, God answers us. The rub comes when we don't like the answer that He gives us. We're wanting a yes, and God says, "Uh uh-uh, no, no way. That's not going to happen in your life today. But also understand that today's no from God doesn't necessarily mean never. It means wait. It means not right now. It means you're not ready for this. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there's a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. And again, we're not going to unpack all that. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we're children of God. And that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that God, the Son of God, has come. And He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And and now we believe in fellowship with the true God. Because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God. And He is eternal life. Dear children. Dear children. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. The most important choice we'll ever make in life is the choice between life and death, eternally speaking, spiritually speaking. When we choose Jesus, we choose life. Last week we talked about the important over the urgent. This week, 
And, and, and through these past five weeks, we've journeyed together exploring some of these important choices that, we've, that we make as, as Christians. There remains this one choice that's going to determine the course and quality of our lives more than all the other choices that we make, and that choice is life or death. And none of us would ever consciously choose death, but it's already been chosen for us. In fact, Hebrews 9.27 says, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. We're all going to face death. It's a certainty. I see it every single week. And even though we know it's going to happen, most people don't like to talk about it. It's, it's not on our things-to-do list. Let's talk about dying. You know, you, you, it's, there's, there's people that are even superstitious. They feel that talk about death, it's going to happen. You know, you, you say, uh, uh, sure enough, uh, we, we start talking about people that we know dying, and next thing you know, somebody that we know dies. And we've been very fortunate in this congregation that, that and I don't know if fortunate's the, the right word, but uh, we haven't experienced the sorrow and sadness of death for a while. And, and having said all of that, this is a pro-life message. Now, in your, in your minds, you're spinning, okay, what's he going to do with babies? Nothing. This is pro-life about pro-eternal life. This, this is a, it, it's a, a, message in a, a pro-life message in a sense that each one of us has been called to eternal life and it can be ours if we choose to live our lives in the light of Jesus Christ, pro-life. And so the point of the message is very simple. Choose Jesus, choose life. You choose, you choose life, you're choosing eternal life. And for the people of the New Testament, death was often uh, in their thoughts. They were a persecuted church. And the next day, the next hour, the next week, I mean, they, they faced death on a regular basis because of the, the uh, current politics of the day. There's some 200 plus references to death or dying in the New Testament, but death was never referred to as something to fear. Never. The message of the gospel was that fear of death has been removed, for the place of death in the believer's life is eternal life. Far from fearing death, the believer can see death as a necessary step that leads to new life. Death frees us from the ravages of the world. We are free from cancer. We're free from dementia. We're free from uh, the diseases that, that uh, claim our, our loved ones. So John writes to the Christians in the late first century words that are equally applicable to us in the 21st century. It's just as important today. It makes just as much sense today as it did back when John wrote them. He says, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. That's called assurance. Assurance. You may know. You don't have to guess about it. You don't have to question it. There's no need to fear death if you believe in the name of the Son of God because belief in Jesus brings eternal life. Look what John, 1 John 4.18 says. Such love 
has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. What are you afraid of? You afraid of being punished? If you're afraid of punishment, if you're afraid that there's going to come a day when you draw your last breath and you're ushered into the very presence of God, that he is going to stand in front of you and said, you're in, you're out. It doesn't work that way because both of you, all of us, who have named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we're in. We're innies, not outies. <laughs> so those whose, whose complete mature love demonstrates the reality of their salvation need have no fear of the return of Christ or God's judgment because perfect love does away with fear. It casts it out. We don't have to worry about it. Now, when I, when I talk to people uh, who, who, who are dying, it's an interesting conversation. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever done that, uh, especially um, uh, with, with believers. I can sit there and, and hold their hand and say, Melanie, you're dying. Do you realize that? You're going to die. Well, John, how can you be that hard-hearted? That's not hard-hearted. That's honest. You know? It's like, eat that cookie, you're going to get fat. Then you're going to die. <laughs> so, so it's... It's this, it's this idea of the fear of the unknown. They're not afraid of dying. They're, is really what I've believed all these years going to happen? Tell me, Brother John, what's it going to be like? As well, I can't tell you other than what the Scripture says. But you are going to really enjoy it. You're not going to be laying down anymore. You're not going to be frail. You're not going to be weak. You're not going to be sick. You're not going to be infirm. You're going to have that place in heaven with the very love of your life, Jesus Christ. You're going to be joined with your friends and your family for eternity. That means forever and ever and ever and then a day and a week and more and ever. You're free from all that. That's what you have to look forward to. And they smile. And they say, thank you. Sometimes they die. The point is, we have a fear of the unknown. And I'm telling you, we don't have to have that fear because perfect fear or perfect love casts out the fear. There is no unknown. There's details that are going to be revealed to us when we die. And so that's, that's an anticipation. It shouldn't be scary because you're not going to be punished. You're not going to be judged. You're going to be rewarded. And I don't know if you're going to get a, a uh, rusty old halo and, and beat up wings and robe so holy that it scratches. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I do know that when we have eternal life, we're going to have something a whole lot better than what we've got now. The kind of love that, that John is talking about here dispels fear because it involves punishment. Someone who professes Christ but fears his return evidences something that is seriously amiss. You're lacking something if you're really scared because true saints look forward to his appearing. In, in John 17, 1 through 3, 
John is simply reiterating what Jesus taught him. He says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one of you. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the true, this is the way you have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who sent, who, who you, one you sent to earth. And here's his point. If we've chosen Jesus, we've already chosen eternal life. God's life has begun in us now, and death as, a, as, a, as a, this great enemy as it is, is nothing to fear. Life has overcome death, and, and we have this blessed assurance. I was downstairs. Did we sing blessed assurance this morning? Okay, okay. Uh, the knowledge that Jesus is ours and we're His, and it's about relationship. It's about assurance. Everything he's saying in this passage in 1 John, he's that you may know, that you may know, that you may know. It's not a guessing game. Assurance is knowing that we know. And some people have, have had or are having some real doubts about their salvation. I don't know if that's where you're at today. But I'm going to give you four things to show you that you can be assured that you know that you know. Assurance is nothing other than a gift of, of God to his children. And so how do we know that we have it? How, do we know that, how, do we, how can we know that we know? And there's four things. The first thing is answered prayer is a change we see in our lives. Answered prayer is a change we see in our lives. Man, it's exciting to pray and watch God work through that. It's exciting to see how God will we'll work through the trials that he sends our way. And we can look at these things as huge trials. And in our own frail humanity, we can't even begin to fathom how it's going to work out. And God is already saying, hey, I got that covered. Is it going to be uncomfortable? We talked about that today in, in the, in, in the uh, men's... Yeah, I'm going to call it the men's Bible study because you women choose to do other things. But... Uh, but uh, we talked about that. We talked about, you know, Jesus is the, is the vine. And sometimes we need to be pruned. Pruning is uncomfortable. You don't want something chopped off. But if this thing isn't bringing forth any fruit, it's better to be chopped off so that something new, so new life can be grafted in, in Jesus Christ, that we can produce more fruit. We produce fruit, we produce more fruit, we produce much fruit. And that's what this life here on earth is all about. So answered prayer is a change we see in our lives. And John writes, and since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Lord, I want a BMW. No, you don't. Lord, I want a vehicle that is going to be able to get me good gas mileage. And I love the truck. But every time I got in it, I got stuck. <laughs> and God says, okay, I'll do that. And man, he gave, me a, he gave me a car that parks itself. It's old. Well, it's not old, old. 
but it's not brand new. But I asked, I made that request. God, I need this, this is what I need for, for, for our family, for ministry, for work. And you say, well, Lord, let me hit the lottery. You can't, you can't handle the lottery. You say, well, if I, if I hit the lottery, I'd, uh, I'd, give, I'd give half of it to the church. Well, let me ask something here. Craig, you're the money man. If, if I, if I hit the lottery, and let's say I got $50 million, take a third, 30% of that for taxes, okay, half of that, okay, so now I got $25 million cash, I, I'm going to give, half of 25 is uh, uh, 12 and a half, right? So, see, I, I'm a mathematician. Twelve and a half, twelve and a half million dollars. I'm going to give to the church. What in the world would we do with twelve and a half million dollars, Matt? I'm going to pay you, and you'll never have to work again. Bart, I'm going to make you suffer. <laughs> no, we we could do we could do some amazing things in ministry, couldn't we? Would it change us? Probably. You wouldn't see a lot of me because I've still got twelve and a half million that Serena and I are gonna travel on. <laughs> oh, we'll take care of a, of our neighbors and friends. Yeah, yeah. Maybe every family in here would get a million dollars. Would you like okay? But but you know, God says, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I am going to answer those requests that are according to my will for you to do the work of the ministry that I've set you up to do. Because you may know that you have this eternal life and prayer is going to change your life. The second thing, our care for others is a change we see in our lives. Uh, I've always been kind of a gregarious character, but sometimes I didn't like people. People are a pain. You know, they, they say that if it wasn't for deacons, ministry would be great. But uh, that's not true either in this church. They haven't met this church. But, but you know, uh, there, there's people I didn't like. Part of the reason I didn't like me. But when I got saved, it did away be, with, with all this because natural human inclination for me was to ridicule and criticize. Mess up. And you get dogpiled. And this happens in the church all the time, and it shouldn't be. It's not supposed to be that way. Verse 16 says, If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there's a sense, really got some serious implications. You're going to step in and do something. That's part of knowing that you have this assurance because you have what you have. I want you guys, what I have, I want you guys to have. You say, well, John, I don't, I don't you know, that, that's fine. I don't want to end up being a preacher. No, you don't have to do that. What you have to do, though, is where you live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Where you commit your life to Him, serve Him, help others, pray, have a, have a serious prayer life, and your assurance of your salvation is going to be evident through that. Now, I'm not saying there aren't consequences for our sin. 
But rather than ridicule and criticize, we ought to have offer forgiveness and grace. Offer forgiveness and grace. I don't think you heard me. Offer forgiveness and grace. It starts with the kids. It goes into your family, to your husband, to the husband, to the wife, to your significant other. You offer forgiveness and then you do it with grace. Yeah, I'll forgive you, you dirty, rotten, rascal, scoundrel, but you don't deserve it. But I'll forgive you. That's not gracious. Grace is that, yeah, I've sinned against you and I'm asking forgiveness. Or I haven't even asked, but you, because you, you love me, because you care for me, because you have that, that deep, intimate passion for me to be a spiritual person, you can say, John, I forgive you. And I can do it with grace. I don't have to hold anything against you. We're all just one sin away from failing ourselves. And, and when we care for others, we can be sure it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's wor- at work in our lives because we know that we have eternal life. The third thing, sin's influence over us is a sign of assurance. What? Sin's influence over us is a sign of assurance? What what do I mean by this? We're, We're not sinless by any stretch of the imagination, but the believer should sin less. Count on it. When you have a victory over something in your life, you have been you have been tempted beyond measure, you've had this whatever it is just consuming your life and you've prayed about it and God has delivered you from it and you're excited that now I am free from this whatever it is and you go about your life and that old devil is going to slip back in and smack you right where you had that victory. He's going to come at you. He came at you once. He's sneaky. He's crafty, and he will tempt you with that temptation that you thought you had victory over, but you've forgotten it, and he's going to come at you. Why? Because he wants to destroy your testimony. There is nothing, I, I, I'm hanging out on this side of the room because I love these guys. There's, there is nothing, I, I wish I had me when I was you. Yeah, because nobody bothered to tell me these, these truths about, about life and, and the, the things, the possibilities that you have. And, and Satan is wanting to destroy you guys. He's going to want to, he wants to destroy your testimony. He's wanting to destroy your faith. He's wanting to destroy your family. He's going to do everything that he can to get you between you and your, and your mom and dad and you and your friends and bring crazy people into your life and, and, and nutty people. And you, you, you guys know nutty people? Yeah, you, we all know nutty people. I, I'm so old they die. But, but the nutty people in young people's lives, you bring them in and it destroys, it's destructive to the family. And it happens all the time, doesn't it? And so you can count on the fact that it's happening to me. Wake up and know that if it wasn't that I was a child of God, the devil wouldn't bother me. You're getting attacked and zapped because you're scaring the devil. That's pretty cool stuff. That you are, you have this power 
and, and, and Satan wants to destroy you, there's nothing that he'd rather do than see a young Christian man, particularly a young Christian man, he does it with girls too, but young Christian men take their lives. Because he takes the life, the leadership of the church is gone. Because if he allows you to destroy your testimony, the leadership in the church is gone. Because if he allows you to get so despondent with the people in the church and you get your eyes on the leaders who are going to disappoint you because we are all men and women who are, who are, who are sinful and you get your eyes on them and say, if that's church, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. And so these kids leave and it destroys the church. Christians are victorious overcomers from the moment of salvation when they're, granted a, when they're granted a faith that will never fail to embrace the gospel. And they may experience times of doubt. They may cry out with David in Psalm 13, 1 through 5. David says, O oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with the anguish in my soul and sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let me, my enemies gloat, saying, we've defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Genuine believers are embarrassed by sin in their lives. If it's exposed, it's an embarrassment. We feel like we don't belong. Clean a pig up. Shine that pig up. Polish his toe, feet. Squirt uday poo-poo on him or whatever the, you're using. Make that pig smell real good. Put a bow around his neck. Shine his teeth. Turn him loose. He's going to go back to the slop and the mud and the muck. Why? That's the nature of the pig. You take a sheep. Sheep hate mud, hate to be dirty. And they will avoid mud puddles and the nastiness because that's the nature of the sheep. And so we must understand that we have a nature of a human being, but because of, of what Christ did, we're changed. The last thing, our desire for worship is a sign of our eternal life. All of this, my friends, we've said it time and again, is worship. It's not just Matt leading us in, in song. That's worship. That's a very, very important part of worship. But praying, taking the offering, talking with one another, sitting down, the preaching of the word, the sharing of the word, the reading of the word, that's all worship. And there's a story told of a young man and his father who was very, very rich and they collected art. And the son got drafted, went to Vietnam, got killed. But before he did, his best friend was an artist and he drew, his son's, drew a picture of the son. Got out, came back, and he gave the picture to, his, to the, his buddy's dad. And it was a perfect example, a perfect likeness of his son. And this, the dad hung this picture of his son in a very prominent place in the house. Well, dad died and the artwork was going to be auctioned off. And they start off with this picture. Who will give me $100? Who will give me $200? And the, the naysayers are saying, we didn't come for pictures of this amateur. We want to see the Rembrandt's Van Goghs. He says, no, we're going to sell this first. Who will give, give me 50 bucks? No, Who will give me $10 for this picture? 
And one old man in the back raised his hand and said, I'll buy the picture for $10. Let's get on with the auction. The auctioneer slammed down the gavel, ga gavel, <laughs> gavel and the auction was over. So you're cheating us. You're robbing us. We came here to buy these works of art. We've got money in our pockets. What is the deal here? And the auctioneer says, I, was, I had this uh, in, the, in the will. They said, the, the attorney said, whoever buys the son receives everything else. Millions of dollars in precious art that this old man who bought the son received for a $10 bill. The man who took the son gets everything. When we choose Jesus, we choose life. We get all that he has to offer. We get everything. So, my friends, are you here today? Have you chosen life over death? Think through with me on this. It's not, it's not just, a, it's not just a, a, a gimmick. This isn't just a church thing. This is real life for eternity. Be sure that you understand the importance of choosing life over death because you're going to spend eternity somewhere. Do you have that blessed assurance that your eternity is firmly fixed? Do you know that you know. Answered prayer is a change we see in our lives. Are you seeing prayers answered in your life right now on a regular basis? You have assurance that your, your eternal state is fixed. Our care for others is a change we see in our lives. Do you really care? Do you care for that person sitting next to you? Do you care for that person that's sitting across from you? Do you care for our brothers and sisters who are, who are failing in health? and need to be encouraged? Are you dropping them on the line of some kind? Are you, are you involved in their lives? Are you involved with the people that love you and pray for you? Sin's influence over us is a sign of assurance. God, the devil isn't going to mess with you if you don't belong to the king. Because he already has you. He's going to leave you alone. Man, I am being attacked like who wouldn't have it? It's kind of hard to thank God for those attacks. But I was taught this morning that that's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't glory in the fact that I'm getting attacked. But I can thank God for it. And the last thing, our desire for worship is a sign of our eternal life. Worship. Worth-ship. Jesus is worthy of it. How is your life a picture of worship today? How are you worshiping God beyond being a guitar picker or a preacher or an engineer, a butcher, a baker, a jailer, a missionary, a nurse, retired? How is your life reflecting worship of Jesus Christ? What are you doing? Do you know that you know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the assurance that you've given us. 
You give us daily of, of who we are in you. Lord, if there is one person here that does not know you as Savior, Lord, I, I, I beg you through the Holy Spirit to touch that person, speak to that person, show them their need for eternal life. Lord, that, that they could come to that place and say, you know, you're right, John, I, I, don't, I don't really understand it all. I, I, I don't. But this I know. I don't have assurance that I've received Christ as my Savior, and I want to do that. So pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin, and I invite you to come into my life and save me. I believe when you died on that cross, you died in my place that I could live forever in eternity with you. And if you're here and you have had doubts about your salvation, yeah, when I was 10 years old at camp, I asked Jesus to come into my life and save me, but by... I, I, I don't feel like it. Friends, salvation is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a fact. I woke up this morning and I didn't feel married. But the fact is, I am. I've got a piece of paper that says I did it. I wear a ring. And I got a wife that wears a ring and she's stuck with me for 50 years. So I know. And just the same way, I know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ because on March 19th at 11.48 a.m. in Carlock, Illinois I asked Jesus to come into my life 46 years ago. John, how do you know you were saved? I was there when it happened. It works. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone that's struggling give them that assurance through your word that they may know they have eternal life. I thank you for it all in your son's precious name and for his sake. Amen.